0: The world. We grew up in it. We learned to think in it. We learned to feel and love by its standards. The ways of the world are deeply rooted within us. But now Jesus has come into the world, and everything has changed. We no longer think, feel, speak, and live according to the ways of the world. Now we walk according to the very Spirit of God given to all who put faith in Jesus. Last week, we discussed how unrepentant sin leads to infection within the community, and in order to keep that sin and division from multiplying, that person must be removed. Yet, this removal is not for the sole purpose of throwing unrepentant sinners into the trash, never to be seen or heard from again. This removal or discipline is done with the hope of reconciliation, which is possible through repentance. And this week... Paul continues his discussion on specific ways the Corinthian church is holding on to their worldly thinking. They're turning to the world to settle legal disputes that should be decided within the confines of God's family. Rather than being willing to suffer and be defrauded, these foolish saints are the ones causing suffering and defrauding other brothers and sisters within the church. Paul's clear. Living like this does not lead to inheriting the kingdom of God. It leads to destruction, and the church needs an intervention.
1: Uh, it was kind of fun, actually, to, to listen to someone else preach from one of these difficult texts, and i very grateful for Drew and him walking through. I know that it can sound a little bit strange. Hey, Drew, I'm going to be gone next weekend. Would you mind speaking? And it's on uh, excommunicating sinful people from the church. So good luck with that. But I thought he did a great job, and it really fits So naturally into where we're picking up this week in chapter 6. So we're dealing with the issue of how do we, as a church, recognize where we have come from and where we should be. And that's what the church is always going to wrestle with. How do we live like in the world but not act like we're of the world? How do we somehow recognize our past without just spitting on it? Without living in a sense of denial? Oh no, that was never me. Or do I just sit there and like, do I embrace who I always have been? Um, I I learn a lot about the spiritual life from my yard. (laughs) And the one thing that I have come to believe about my life and about the church is that every lawn has both grass and weeds in it. (laughs) doesn't matter how hard you try. doesn't matter how hard you work. It's just a matter of time. And there they are, weeds again. What do you do? Um, Andrew and I used to live uh, on a different end of town. Now we've moved to the holy area, just close to the church. It's amazing how the spilling out of this place just sanctifies everything around it. And so we've moved closer. <laughs> and uh, where, where we used to live on the other side of town, um, uh, there was, uh, when, we, when the houses were built, being built in that area, there were a lot of college students whose parents were buying them houses uh, close to us. And so we had a number of college students that lived in our community. And uh, right beside us was a young man uh, who was actually playing football for Oklahoma State. He was an offensive lineman, and uh, his parents bought him the house right beside ours. And he was a great neighbor. I mean, he didn't really cause any kind of problems or difficulties. He didn't take care of his yard, but he mowed it. It's not like the grass was always really high. Actually, it's not like there was a lot of grass to mow, per se. And it was green, to be honest with you. And every spring, when the yards would begin to change, I just would always notice that uh, the area where my yard was kind of close to his yard would just start filling up with weeds. And I, at first, I was like, I can take care of this. I really can. I can take care of this. But then you're out there all the time, picking weeds, picking weeds. And finally, I thought, no, I need professional help. There's no way I can keep up with this. There's no way that I can manage this. And it really didn't seem to matter, like what I do, actually. Weeds are a part of life. They're a part of my yard. And I know what it's like to just go, you know what? Weeds are green too. Let's just mow them and at least for a day it looks good, right? But after a while that just gets to me. No, I think I need to live with the fact that I like a good yard and I really want to take care of it and I want to be responsible and I actually had to get help again because I need help with this. But I'm willing to do my part too. I really am. I'm willing to water it. And I'm willing to do my part. I'm willing to kind of walk around and to pick the occasional weed. I really am. I think that's just like part of life. And people that don't like that, that people that hate that, are probably going to be frustrated in all other areas of life. Like that's, that's my marriage. But Andrea's not a weed, by the way. Don't get me wrong. She's not a weed. But we have weeds. We have to work on it. Um, raising kids can be like that. There's a lot of grass and a lot of weeds. Hopefully not a lot of weed, but there's a lot of weeds, right? <laughs> that's a whole other story. Anyway, uh, it is so important that we, that we think that way, and that's even true about the community of faith. Like, that's, that's what church is like. So then what do we do? Do we, like, act like that's not the case? How about we just say, hey, you know what? Let's just redefine grass, and it includes all these other things too. Literally, there's like dandelion grass and then there's fescue grass and then there's, no, it's a weed. My, my dad would never pay for anybody else to do his yard and so um, or he would barely pay me. And I remember when I was a little kid, hey dad, would you pay me to pick these dandelions? And he would say, you know what, I'll pay you, I forget what it was, like negative five cents a dandelion or something like that. And, and so I would, I would say, I'll do it dad. And so I, w- I would get out there and for me to pick a dandelion was basically just to pop the yellow part off, put it in a bag and call it good. Hey dad, I got all the yellow parts off. And my dad would say, that's not dealing with weeds. So what, what do I have to do? Because first of all, you're not paying me very much. So what do I have to do? And and I remember him showing me, I literally remember being a little kid, and he gave me like this shovel, and he said, you take it, and you put it just a little bit away from the root of the, of the weed, and then you push down in it, and you kind of shake it up a little bit, and then you got to get down, and you got to try to grab it by the root, you got to kind of shake it a little bit, and if you've really done a good job with the spade, it'll start to loosen up, and then you pull it up, and he would pull, and I just thought, holy, there's a lot of stuff under the ground, and that's what you do, and I'll pay you for those. I don't need yellow tops, but I'll, the whole weed. That's a lot of work, Dad. (laughs) Yeah, but that's how you deal with weeds. So the Apostle Paul looks at this church that he loves and this church that he cares for, and he recognizes, he's, he's not naive, he gets it. He understands that we're broken for a reason, that we're messed up for a reason. That we were once lost and now we're found and there's a tremendous amount of brokenness that exists in our lives. He's not naive. He knows that. But he also knows the power of the gospel. He knows the power of faith in Jesus Christ. He knows the transformative work of the Holy Spirit that now dwells in us. And so he refuses to live in denial with the weeds that exist, whether in us or in us. And so he has to speak the truth. So chapter five, he really addresses it pretty strongly. Listen, like if you, if you don't deal with this, I thought that illustration that Drew used about those kids at camp, for those of you that missed it, you need to listen to last week's message. When someone is sick, we just know, they say this to me all the time, oh, you don't wanna shake my hand, I'm sick. Oh, I better not, I better be careful. I better probably not send my kids to school, they're sick. I don't want them to get other people sick. And yet when it comes to our sin, we somehow, well, no, that's just, that's just between me and God. That's just, it's somehow like isolated. It's way over here. No, it's not. It's not at all. And, and Paul's continuing this thought. He's literally saying, okay, for those that just knowingly embrace sin, we need to do some radical reconstruction. We need to literally remove them because we love them. And because we love the church body, we're going to have to do some difficult stuff so that they might be saved and that we might continue to grow. And so he has some radical stuff that he says in chapter five, radical for us today. And in chapter six, he continues on. He says, listen, it's, it's not just one guy. There's more that's actually going on. And he's asking this question a little, a little bit, if I could put like an analogy, like, hey, Jim, why does your yard look like everybody else's yard? Is there such thing as a Christian lawn? <laughs> is there some, why, why does your little community of faith, Jim, why does like Sunnybrook look like every other social group? Well, you know, because really what we do here is no different than what anybody else is doing, so whether it's a sorority or a fraternity or the Lions Club or Rotary or whatever it is, like it's the same thing, really, we're all doing the same thing, we're just trying to learn how to be nice people. No, we're not. That's not what we're trying to do. We didn't come here this morning to sing praise to God so that we could all be nice people. We came here because Jesus Christ has done something different in our lives. We're here to say thank you to him. We're here to continue to live out and to understand and then live out the implications of that. I want to live in that shadow today. I really want that That, the cross of Jesus Christ, the implication of the death, burial, and resurrection, the sending of Jesus, the coming of Jesus, um, the death, burial, and resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ, the coming of the Holy Spirit, like how does that fundamentally change like you and me and us? And that's why the Apostle Paul says something rather bold here in that first section. We're going to look, 1 Corinthians 6 is where we are, so turn there. 1 Corinthians 6, I want to unpack the first eight verses as a unit. And Paul is going to repeatedly make this statement. Do you not know? Notice the inflection. Like, do you not know? Now, by the way, that that could sound somewhat condescending. I I don't know if it is. I I just want you to remember that the Apostle Paul walks into a city that for the most part, most likely, um, this is in the early 50s. Jesus died like roughly 21 years earlier. This is the early 50s. Which means not a lot of people have heard of. They may have known about the God of the Old Testament, but they don't know about Jesus Christ. Many of them do not. Most likely, none of them know about who Jesus Christ is, God's plan of salvation. They don't know that. So Paul walks in, and for a series of weeks, okay, we don't know if it's exactly the number mentioned in the book of Acts, but we know it's at least that. It'll say, it'll repeatedly say, Luke will record, and Paul spoke in the, in the synagogue there for three weeks. Okay might have been more, but we know at least he spoke in the synagogue for at least three. But it's not like he spent eight years with them. Imagine that I walk into town. You know nothing about my way of life. You know nothing about God or nothing about who Jesus Christ is. You have no idea what it means to love a woman or to be loved. You have no idea about what forgiveness or the basis of it is. All you know is that is this, we should kind of be nice, but in the end, every man, every woman, every child for themselves. And man, if it feels good, why not do it? And Paul walks in, takes that whole world, turns it upside down. Shares the good news of Jesus Christ. Some people believe it. They become filled with the Holy Spirit. And then after a rather short period of time, okay, just, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll land on the outside. Imagine that I have been here for three whole months, and then I go, and I don't give you a Bible? Like, we, we've got them, literally. They, come in here any time of the week, you'll see all these pews are still full of Bibles. Bibles are everywhere. You got one on your phone. Literally, Bibles are everywhere. Imagine you don't even have that. And Paul gives you the story and then goes, and I leave you to the Holy Spirit. I, I gotta go. Where are you going? Ephesus. Okay, that's far. When are you coming back? I don't know. But I promise you, just remember what I told you about Jesus. I gotta go. Have you ever just felt the weight of that? How many of you have, like, have a Bible, have a church family, have all of these things, and you're still struggling to figure out which way's up? And so the Apostle Paul has to say, and, I, and I, don't think he's, I don't think he's mad. I really don't. Not that he's not afraid to be mad, but I think this do you not know. He says a number of times, particularly in this book, he likes to say, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to somehow live your life somehow disconnected from the truth. Do you not know? Verse 1. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare to go to the law before the unrighteous instead of one of the saints? So he's accusing them of something, and what it is is so... Uh, basically, you have a, have, a, have a situation where Jim and, and Blaine have a disagreement because they're neighbors, and so they've got this one stretch of property that here's Jim and Andrea's land, and here's Blaine and Annette's land, and there's this one stretch, and we're arguing back and forth. Oh, whose is it? It's mine. No, it's mine. Where's the line? It's here. No, it's here. And we're arguing back and forth, and finally, you know what? Just nobody's taking advantage of me, Blaine. I feel, like you're, I feel like you're taking advantage of me. No one's taking advantage of me. And you know what? I'm going to take you to court. Oh, yeah? Well, I'll take you to court. I'll double take you to court. Oh, yeah? It sounds like a junior high conversation. But yeah, I'll come back. And, and we're arguing back and forth. And then we decide, hey, instead of going to like, our community of faith and having our brothers and sisters kind of help us see which way to do it, no, no, no. We're going, I'm taking you all the way to the Supreme Court. Like, we're figuring out because no one's taking advantage of me. Nobody. Paul hears about this, so so you and Blaine can't figure it out, and so what you've decided is to go to an unrighteous court, because you trust them. Verse 2, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? Now, that's kind of some interesting stuff. Like, did you know we were to judge angels? Did you know that we are to judge the world? Now, there's really some debate about how this works. I I think there is is a sense in which you and I, when we accept Jesus Christ and we begin to live a different life, there is a sense in which that can be understood as judgment, by the way. And, And you know what I'm talking about. You might go, well, what do you mean? How is that judging? Oh, no, you know exactly what it's talking about. Because when you're somewhere and you start doing something and then someone says no, I don't want to do that. How many of you feel like, even though they never said, I'm judging you, how many of you feel judged? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, should I not have done that? I feel like they're judging me. I feel like, yeah, wow, I shouldn't have done that. I'm just telling you what I'm going to do. See, when we say we're going to be salt and light, when, when I say, hey, like I'm going to be faithful to my wife and she's going to be faithful to me, and even if she were to cheat on me, we've had these conversations, that I would forgive her and that she would forgive me. And there are some people that go, man, I feel like you're judging me. Why? Well, because when my wife cheated on me, I left her. Okay, I'm, I'm not. Like, I'm not. I looked at the gospel, and I'm telling you what I'm going to do. Man, I just feel like you're, okay, I'm not trying to judge you. I'm just saying how I'm going to live my life. I feel like you're judging me. I'll tell you, the Satan, he did a great job when he whispered in the church's ear and said, Man, you guys are so judgmental, which by the way we were. And then he said, you guys gotta quit judging. You gotta don't judge anybody. That's now that's real. That's that's real community. And when we bought that lie from the pits of hell, what does 1 Corinthians 5 say? Actually, we are to judge inside. There is a sense, there's a sense of this text which I don't fully understand. Like I don't know exactly what it means that we will judge. I know that Jesus says to the disciples particularly that you will judge the tribes of Israel. Now, any judging will ultimately come through Jesus Christ alone, right? So we know that. He is the judge. So I don't think when you get to heaven, you're gonna be like, wow, this is gonna get awkward because here comes another angel and I don't know what to do, I promise. God will take care of any miraculous side in which we need to do. But can I just tell you, you might want to put on your big girl or big boy pants and kind of deal with the fact that there is a very strong sense in which the way that we live will not be popular. Salt and light just kind of gets in your eyes. Like it it can be overpowering to the tongue. And it's supposed to be by its nature. And your desire to just fit in, your desire to just somehow walk the line, your desire to just uh, mediate and play the middle, is in many ways, at least for me, it's just cowardice. And so the Apostle Paul is describing, like, do you not get it? Like, do you not understand the dwelling of the Spirit? Do you not understand that you're different He continues on. Look at this. So if you have such cases, Jim and Blaine can't figure out who owns the land, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame, which by the way is is something that we really don't like in our culture. The Bible is written in a guilt and shame based culture and and I I still find it very fascinating that so many of us think that any shame at all is just the worst thing ever. And, And yet the Bible seems to describe that there is... Like, even something appropriate that when we do something wrong, that there should be a sense of something's out of place. I hated it when my dad would say to me, well, son, you've disappointed me. Don't say that, Dad. I'm going to cry. I don't want to disappoint you. Why don't you just say I'm evil, but you're proud of me, you know? Dad, why can't you just embrace my sin? Like, why can't you tell me that I'm evil and that you still are okay with me. Because that's not who I am. And when you choose to live that way, talk that way, treat your sister that way. Like, you, you, you disappoint me, son. Now you're making me feel bad. Right? How many of us? Why can't you just embrace my sin? Why can't you just go along with the game? So the Apostle Paul says, like, I say this to your shame. He's not trying to heap unnecessary guilt on their shoulders. He is saying, if you're not living in accordance with the gospel, you ready for this? I want you to feel it. If you're not living in accordance with the gospel, like I want you to feel it. If I'm not living in accordance with the gospel, I really need to feel it. And so often we just, no, I, I, I don't want to feel I ever want to feel guilty. I never want to feel shame. I never want to feel like I'm doing anything wrong. You know, the only way to handle that is to just make everything in culture, everything in society, everything in the church permissible. And then we can just kind of have this mutual admiration society and just kind of nod with one another and go along. And in the end, <laughs> Let's just have a lawn of grass and weeds and just call it good. And the problem is, is that there is a gardener coming and he's not good with that, right? So the Apostle Paul is not good with that. So notice what he says here, I say this to your shame, can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers, but brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers, now listen to this, to have lawsuits at all with one another, and that's the context here, he's not saying, hey, by the way, I had, had to get a lawyer for X or Y, but when Jim and Blaine can't figure it out. And we have to go to an unbelieving system to figure, because we are not, no, 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 no. Blaine is not getting away with this. I am getting my, you know, famous, notorious Shakespearean pound of flesh. I want my pound of flesh. Which, by the way, in, in Shakespeare's work, it's from The Merchant of Venice, that literally is a symbol for the heart. I want his heart before I let him get away with this. I'd rather him dead than me be wronged. That's what that means. Look at this. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already defeat for you. You've already lost. So I'm waiting for the court case to come out and I totally think I got you, brother. I totally think I got it and I'm going to win this. Paul taps me on the shoulder. Actually, you can't even tell this, but you're a loser. Like you've lost. Like you think you're gonna win the case, but you've actually lost in the court of godly opinion. Yeah, but I'm going to win my yard. And, and that's okay with you. Like you're okay with being at odds with the creator of the universe so that you can get your yard. And Paul says, I say this to your shame. Why not rather suffer wrong? Because um, it, it, it hurt. I don't like wrong. Why not rather be defrauded? I'm not being defrauded. But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brother's. I say this to your shame. This is already a defeat for you. You've already lost. See, one of the major concerns that Paul has in chapter 5 and now in chapter 6 is like, are you looking at life? Are you looking at your life? Are you looking at what Jesus Christ has done from the cross perspective? Or are you still looking at it from like your own worldly perspective? So imagine that, you know, Blaine and I are at odds about this piece of land. And there's no way he's going to get the better of me. And I just... Come up to someone, see, wise counsel. It's going to help me. Hey, I don't know if I should take Blaine to court. I really don't, but I think I got a case on this. And man, I could really get some serious money off this because I don't want to tell you what's in that piece of property. want well, Anybody to know that. But I'm really trying to, to get this, to leverage it for myself. And I begin to do this. And, and one of the things that always helps me is if I put whatever I'm struggling with in the shadow of the cross. So what are you doing? Well, I just, I'm trying to make the most of what is rightfully mine, and I don't want anybody to take advantage of me. I don't want anybody to, I want, it, I want what's fair, I want what's right, I want what's mine. You always have to talk like that, by the way, and your, your heart starts to race, and you become more and more and more and more passionate. Okay, wait, just hold on to your story for a second. Now you can finish it in a moment about how you're going to get the land, and how it's going to be yours, and it's fair, and it's right, and nobody's going to take advantage of you. I'll just kind of hold you on. Tell me about the cross again. Well, um, God, in his loving kindness, see, we, God made us, and we rebelled against him, and Jesus did not consider equality with God as something to be robbed or to be held onto, and so he emptied himself. He gave freely of himself, and he came down to earth, and he lived this life, and then he died on the cross for my sin, and, and it's this incredibly free gift that he has given me that has transformed my life, and I'm going to stick it to blame. Okay, you had me until the stick it to part, <laughs> Tell your story, and and then kind of pause it, and then tell the story of Jesus, and then finish your story. My wife cheated on me, and no one cheats on me. I'm serious. like Nobody cheats on me, so I'm not going to have any part of it, and she's wronged me, and so you know what? Certain things I just won't let go of. Pause. And Jesus Christ forgives me no matter what. And I go to him repeatedly and ask for forgiveness. And he washes me white every time. And so I'm going to leave her and have nothing to do with her again. Because nobody does that to me. Do you hear yourself? Paul's asking this very serious question. Do you not know? Like, Do you not get it? Seriously? That one piece of land? And so the Apostle Paul essentially wants the Christians at Corinth to know, and we need to know this too. I I love this statement from this text, and this is a little bit of one of those underlinable verses. Paul is about to say this, and such, and he's going to list a bunch of sins, and he says, and such were some of you. It's the before and after. See, one of the problems with the analogy about the church being like a yard and that there are weeds is the only way that I know to get rid of weeds is to kill them. Or to, like, pluck them up and kill them. That's not what Jesus does. But what Jesus does, we don't know how to do. Because only Jesus can do it. And Jesus actually takes weeds and turns them into grass. Do You see the difference? Like, Jesus doesn't say to Jim, hey, you're a dandelion. I just want you to wear this grass costume for the rest of your life. And by the way, there's a whole lot of us in this room that kind of play that game. No transformation, just look like fescue. Mm, Hmm, that yellow thing is going to pop out at some time, I promise you. You just can't do it. Think about that statement. And such were some of you. I love that. Because I... A, and when I say I don't want to be a part of a community like I mean the Bible doesn't want me to be a part of a community that only says, hey, if you have it all figured out, if you're nice, good grass, come on in. No, like nowhere does the Bible say that. The Bible doesn't say that in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Judges, none of it. It Doesn't say it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or Acts. Definitely doesn't say in Acts. In Acts, it's like everywhere I go, will I find her weeds, and then after I tell them about Jesus, grass everywhere. That's the story of the Bible. It's not judgmentalism. It's not, hey, look, we figured it out. Look how smart we are. Look how good we are. It's no, look how messed up we are, but look how good God is. Is that not amazing? That's the story of the gospel. But then if that's the case, then then be the grass with which you were called to be. Don't go back out living the weed. Don't go back. Why would you go back? It is what you were. Look at verse 9 and Paul draws a hard line here and this is where it gets complicated or do you not know that the the unrighteous will not inherit it sounds so judgmental it's almost like an exclusive club it is seriously someone just bet i just want to tell you the church is an exclusive club heaven is exclusive Not everybody gets in, no matter what. You could even be like a really great communicator and write a book like Love Winning, and it's still not going to change the way God writes. It's just not. I I could have some masterful articulation of things, and I could even kind of get you turned around in terms of what's right and what's wrong. It's just not going to change what the Bible teaches. I can't change what's written right here. I mean, tell me another way to understand this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That will never mean the unrighteous will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what is righteousness? That is is us being declared right before God. That is through the work of Jesus Christ that I receive by faith. So the beautiful part of this exclusive club is it is exclusive on the basis of our faith in Christ. And in that sense, it is always wanting to include everybody. I'm running around. Who wants in? Who wants in? It's for everybody. It's for everybody. Will everybody get it? No. But everybody can, everybody can hear. I want everybody to receive. We're praying for everybody. We're hoping for everybody. We're living our lives just completely vulnerable for everybody, 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 but not everybody. It just won't be everybody. Sadly enough, it won't be everybody. There are some people that want to stay on the unrighteous side of things. And the Apostle Paul is saying in chapter 5, yeah, like if someone wants to live a sexually immoral life, like we're not just going to change the inside um, expectations of the community of faith. Like if I said to you, hey, like I'm just going to be a jerk and I just want everyone in 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 the congregation to accept jerkism. You would go, no, we're not being jerks. You've got to remember who Jesus Christ is, Jim. You're right, I do. That's why we don't, we don't put up with, you know, we've got, we got a list of things here. He says, do not be deceived, which, why, why do you say that? Why would Paul say, do not be deceived? Why? Because we can be deceived. I mean, I would argue at some level, this is why we've got to be on top of this and alert, because... The world is constantly going, hey, you know what? I don't know if you know this, but if you're of a different color, you're not as good as these people of this color, and so we can treat them like crap, like property. You know, that's in the Bible. A, it's not, and that's never okay. So whatever you want to call it, racism or sexism or chauvinism or feminism or any kind of ism, any kind of ism that is against the biblical text, is not okay, and do not be deceived. And, and by the way, the reality is, is that the church, over our long, credible history, let's speak properly about the church. And when I say properly, I mean accurately. And you want to know what the church, the church has got a lot of things wrong. And racism, and sexism, and elitism, and classism is part of the church's history. But so is the abolition of slavery. And so is treating people like brothers and sisters in Christ. And so is the idea that we are not going to have favorites. And so it's not, now, in modern churches, the back seats are probably the most coveted. But the book of James actually tells us we don't sit people according to how much money they have. Like that would be evil. And that's not up for debate. So we're not allowed to like hit our wives. We're not allowed to, um, to exploit poor people. We're not allowed to do these things. And hear me, do not be deceived. And I don't want to hear that, well, you know where they do it. I don't care where they do it. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. The sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, by the way, those repentant, oh, they do. Those who once were, they do. Those who once have, oh, they, they, they can by the grace of God. But truthfully, like the rules inside here, like of this community of faith, aren't up for debate. They're to be followed. And in reality, since there is a day where God will judge the world through the man Jesus Christ, and he has given proof of this by raising him from the dead, that's in Acts 17. We're not going to debate in that sense, like what is right or wrong. And we're not going to change the rules. It is better for you to leave than for us to change. So the Apostle Paul says, Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God whole long list of things. And by the way, I would say even that list is representative. Don't get excited about one or the other. I don't believe that Paul's going, yeah, and that's it. Those are the only ones that aren't. No. And and by the way, so you're telling me if I've done any of those sins, well, no, what does the rest of it say? Look at verse 11. And such were some of you. So obviously, if that's who they were, then it's not like, well, if I did that, I can't be in. It's that if you want to stand up and embrace any of those, or to be honest with you, as far as I can understand the biblical text, any sin, any sin, and you want to stand brazenly and then try to infect those around us, we need to do an intervention. Immediately, by the way, for your sake and all of those around you, because you're sick, and you're not living the way that God designed it. And in that sense, hear me, in that sense, this is not up for debate. We're never going to go. Adultery is totally cool because he really loves her. And we're never gonna say that sexual immorality, whether that's homosexuality or just, or just sexual immorality, we're never going to say that being greedy or being a swindler, um, it, we're never going to say that being divisive or being argumentative, we're never gonna say that lying or stealing or cheating or murdering, we're never going to say that any of those things are okay because let me give you a reason why. My sons would do this all the time. My sons would do something wrong and I would go, I can't believe you did that. You can't say no to your mother like that. And they would go, but dad, let me tell you why. And I would look at them and I would say, there is no case in which you're going to present me Something and then I'm gonna say, Oh yeah, you can be disobedient to your mother. It just doesn't work that way. And there's no case in which we can ever say to God, Hey, here's why I'm a sinful person embracing my sin. And God's gonna go, Oh, oh, okay, I didn't know about that one. No, the Bible speaks very clearly. Let me let me share with you some texts that really kind of hit this rather strongly. And uh, I'm going to probably go through them quick enough that you might just want to write down the verses and go back and look at them later, just in case you think, wow, so where is this coming from? Well, first, let me, let me finish verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified. This is what Brady read at communion time. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God, meaning it's a, it's, it's, it's a different day for you. So can I ask you, like, is it a different day for you? Is that list of sin like something that you were? If it is, then we praise the Lord. If it's something that you want to pass on, we really need to talk about the gospel again. I want you to tell your story about your sin, and then I want you to stop, hit pause, and then I want to talk about what Jesus Christ has done, and then talk about the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, and then you can continue. Do you realize how hard it is to stay in our sin when we do that? Chapter three, verse three. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Galatians, Chapter five, verses nineteen and following. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, meaning those who brazenly, habitually, with celebration do those things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. For you may be sure of this. Oh, if only the apostle Paul was more confident. You will be sure of this: that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God, of kingdom of Christ and God. Now, by the way, it's so interesting that I know a number of people that love to embrace certain forms of sexual immorality, and then they go, "But look at the list; it's got a whole bunch of other things." I'm going, "Sure," but somehow you're wanting me to ignore the whole list. No, I always want the whole list. And the whole list is still, there's even more. Why? Rebellion against God does not glorify God. Well, it does. It glorifies in the judgment of that sin. Two ways that happens. One, the judgment on Christ, which we receive. That's called grace. The other one is you paying for it. Choose A. Pick anybody else? A? A? The judgment on Christ. Man, I'm so grateful for that. Colossians 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. How do I put it to death? Earlier in the chapter, by putting our eyes on Jesus, not just determination. Romans chapter 13, let us walk properly in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its, its desires. Do you realize the Bible doesn't give a lot of, man, I can't control myself issues, does it? It doesn't give a lot of room for that. And by the way, the Bible would go, I know, I totally believe you can't control yourself. That's why I gave you the Holy Spirit. Now what are you going to say? Revelation 21, but as for the cowardly and the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Again, unrepentant, brazen sin. No matter where it is, you can't come in this building and try to just, home free, I'm at the church, God. Ooh, that was close. Yeah, he he doesn't, he doesn't play that game might find some like third grade children that'll play that with you but the creator of the universe doesn't play that game and then my favorite one revelation 22 verses 14 and 15 listen to this this is the grace of God it is so good to know that I used to be like so many things on this list this was me I'm not here to go man aren't you glad this has never been us no this is what we were it just can't be who we are all this issue about identity and who I really am and I really am this. Well, you know what I really am? I really am made in the image of Jesus. That one I know. I really am transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Revelation says this, blessed are those who, who wash their robes. That's that, now, or that, that metaphor that we actually see in Corinthians 6. Washed. Who wash our robes so that they may have the right to eat of the tree of life. And that they may enter the city by the gates. Because outside of those gates are where the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. You remember the the show Cheers? I get it. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. Like, sometimes you want to know where, go, go to a place where all the troubles are all the same. But can I ask you a question? If the community that we are calling people into, church, this, this new family of way brothers and sisters act where, hey, dude, it's your land. No, it's yours. No, it's yours. No, it's yours. Why don't we share it? Right? That world? Okay. That's not the world world. That's the the Jesus world. No, you have it. No, you have it. No, you have it. No, you have it. Let's share it. Let's sell it and give it to the poor, right? That's that's the biblical world. But if the world that we're calling people into is just like the world that they're coming from, how many of you watch Cheers and go, everyone on the show is jacked up? No one ever gets better on that show. I love watching these TV shows and some of them I I laugh at a lot. Seinfeld, Friends. These people are jacked up. because Jesus is never a part of it. And if what we're trying to create here is just what everybody else already has, then my only question is this. What's the point? What's the point of here if it's just like there? pray. God, thank you. I don't need to answer that question because we know there is a point and it has to be different. And I'm just grateful for the opportunity. I'm grateful for where it is different. God, it's, I think I could kind of write this letter to us, but I also see so much of transparency and vulnerability. I know so many people that in their sexual immorality, in their rivalries, in their greediness, in their idolatrousness, in their adultery, they break I'm just so grateful for that. So those people that read that list and it just stings, I pray that it stings like a wound that is being healed. That it doesn't feel like something that needs to be amputated, but it is something that is truly being stitched up that may always have a scar, but God, it is, it is still whole again. And only you can do that. God, may we recognize the exclusive nature of who we are and may we never be exclusive. May we always have open doors, open hearts, open lives, open homes. Because you've opened them to us. May truly this be who we were, but not who we are. May Jesus be who we are. And all God's people said, love you guys. Go and be salt and light, okay? Make people like, have to go like this because you're so amazing. Love to continue the faith conversation. If you want to walk this way instead of that way, we'll see you Wednesday night.